0: So good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, As Tim said, we're starting a short series now, uh, three weeks on this idea of good news, what it is, what it means, what it looks like. Uh, But before we do that, um, first of all, I had a couple of emails this week, uh, really nice emails from people that listen to our podcasts, um, some from all over the world. And just really encouraging. So if you are listening to us on podcast now, thank you. Uh, Do get in touch. It is really nice to hear from you. And if you find you miss a sermon, then you can catch up. So if you search for Bessels Green Baptist Church on um, Apple iTunes, you'll find us and you can follow along there. So as Tim said, our series is based upon uh, this book by N.T. Wright. Uh, Tom Wright is an Anglican bishop. He's a scholar. He's in theology at St. Andrew's University. He's also a prolific writer and a great thinker. In fact, often described as the the preeminent New Testament scholar of our time. And he's written this book on simply good news. And I was reading it, and, and some of the stuff today... I just found it so interesting and fascinating, so I hope you're going to as well. Um, in fact, some of it I'd not heard before, so I had to go away and fact check. So I ended up on various sources, uh, and actually, do you know what? Tom writes right. There's a surprise there. So yeah, so today it's really a sermon. Uh, it's a really one sermon across three parts. Um, So you will want to listen to all three. Today is the introduction, the background, and we're going to get into the meat of it next week. And then week three, what it means to us today, the application. But first of all, some background. So first up, can anyone tell me what happened on the 14th of March, 44 BC? You're a clever lot. Someone here will know. (laughs) Roland, I would put money on you knowing. (laughs) And it is... It's, it's the, uh, it was the assassination of Julius Caesar. Yes. <sighs> no point. <laughs> yes, it was the date Julius Caesar was assassinated. So uh, thinking back to your school English lessons, perhaps studying Shakespeare, can you name the two conspirators? Brutus, Brutus and Cassius. Yes, Brutus and Cassius, Caesar's assassins. Uh, Caesar never actually ruled over the whole Roman Empire. In fact that was part of the reason he was assassinated was to stop him from doing that and he never had any children. Julius Caesar didn't have any kids of his own so his adopted heir was this person Octavian. Octavian was his nephew and, uh, and Caesar adopted him as his heir and successor. Octavian had been away when Julius Caesar was assassinated and he arrived in Rome uh, two months later to find Mark Antony in a kind of uneasy alliance with Brutus and Cassius and trying to make a bid to rule the empire. So there then begins this struggle for power between Octavian and Mark Antony in particular And it's an incredibly divisive political argument that actually ends up quite bloody in the end in a war. But it's these two vying for power and vying to rule as Julius Caesar's successor. Two years after Julius Caesar's death, Octavian declared that Julius Caesar had in fact been divine claimed that he'd had a miraculous birth, that actually he had come from God. And he set up the temple of Julius Caesar. It is no longer standing, but this is an artist's impression of what they think it might have looked like. And they began to circulate the story that Julius Caesar had in fact been a god. This suited Octavian because it meant he could now refer to himself as, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, Backtrack one. Just as Julius Caesar was declared divine, a comet appeared in the night sky. And this was seen as evidence that this was in fact true. And here's a Roman coin with divine Julius written on it and a picture of a comet, which was seen as evidence of uh, Julius Caesar's divine status. Of course, this suited Octavian because it gave him the title Son of God. Divi Philus. So he was now referring to himself as Octavian, the son of God. Octavian and Mark Antony battled for ruling to, to rule the Roman Empire for many years. And eventually in 31 BC at the Battle of Actium, Octavian was successful. It was a battle at sea. He defeated Mark Antony. And Mark Antony fled with his consort Cleopatra to North Africa another Shakespeare play, where in North Africa they committed suicide. Uh, Shakespeare does like macabre themes, doesn't he? But now Octavian was the sole ruler in charge. And he changed his name. Once he'd become the sole ruler of the Roman Empire, he changed his name to Caesar Augustus. Heard of Caesar Augustus? The beginning of a reading we often have at Christmas, Luke chapter 2. In those days the decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that taken role. corinius was governor of Syria, etc. It's that Augustus that had now assumed power. And he sent a message back from the front he sent a message, it was, the Greek word for the message he sent was euangelion. Literally translated, good news. Good news was a Roman military propaganda term. And it was used by Caesar Augustus to send a message back from the front line. Good news people, I have been victorious. In fact, the message went something like this. And this is the bit I had to check out. Good news, Caesar Augustus, the son of God, has now become the saviour of the world. Do you recognise that language? That was the message sent back from the front. The good news, the evangelion, sent by the heralds, the evangelists, to the Roman Empire, It was a piece of news and as Tom Wright asks, one of the, the major themes in Tom Wright's book is news and how does it work. And Tom says this, it's an announcement of something that has happened. Caesar Augustus has won a victory. That is the news, that is an event that has happened in history. As a result of that event, the future will now be different. It took four years for Caesar Augustus to return from Rome, from the Battle of Actium. He went sort of around the, the, the known part of the world on a mopping up exercise, cleaning up people that had been supporting Mark Antony and making his way home. For those four years, if you lived in Rome, you had some choices to make. Caesar Augustus was on, was on his way back to rule. That was going to affect your life in the city. So you need to make changes in the present to get ready. That is how news works. It's an event that changes the future that means you have to respond to it in the present. Are you with me so far? Carry on, Lovely. Bless you, Miles, thank you. So take Herod the Great, for example, another character you've probably heard of in this story. Herod the Great had been a supporter of Mark Antony, which was now a problem. Because Octavian, Caesar Augustus, had won and was returning to Rome. But Herod the Great was also a shrewd political man. So he sent a message to Augustus, and the message said this Do not think whose friend I have been, but think how loyal a friend I have been, and how loyal I shall be to you. Will Augustus know, stranger to real politics? Um, decided to keep him in his post, looking after this unruly small corner of his empire with these Israelites. As long as they continued to pay their taxes, then Herod could continue to be king of the Jews in that area. As part of his role as savior of the world, Caesar Augustus declared Pax Romana. You may have heard of this the peace of. Of Rome. On the back of a number of their coins minted in this time are the words peace through victory. Roman peace was a particular kind of peace. It was peace if you were on their side. But if you opposed them, it proved to be quite fatal. They achieved peace by marching through these towns and slaughtering anybody who opposed them and making a spectacle of them Uh, there's a story told later it's actually not from this period it is is from a future time but it's the the village of Magdala where Mary Magdalene was from Magdala rebelled against the Roman Empire so the general Vespasian was sent in to sort them out and there's a story told that he crucified between 1000 and 3000 people on the roads surrounding Magdala to show anybody who approached the town what defiance of Rome looked like. Peace, peace through victory. This was the Roman vision of peace. So, just in case uh, you've missed it, let's just recap because there was a lot of history there. I mean, I, I kind of found it fascinating. I kind of hope you did too. But if you didn't, sorry. Um, Caesar Augustus, previously Octavian, announces good news that he, the son of God, is going to be the saviour of the world. At which point we turn to Mark chapter one, verse one. Mark is the oldest of the gospels and the first one that was written. And the opening line of Mark's gospel says this. The beginning of the good news, the euangelion, about Jesus the saviour, the son of God. who says the bible isn't political do you get that do you spot that this is a political statement it couldn't be more inflammatory that there is another story going on here that mark is telling and it is different to the one that rome is telling later on after this scene with the woman in the well and jesus she returns to her village and We get this, it's no longer because of what you've said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. They encountered Jesus and in Jesus they found the real Savior of the world. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Well, no, because we know how the world gives peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. The Roman narrative of good news was of oppression. It was of imperial power. And it was of might and it was of force. And then quietly, from a small and honestly quite insignificant Jewish tribe the tribe of the Israelites, comes a different story of good news. Good news for all. A story that has been actually years, if not millennia, in the telling. It has been evolving as this tribe have learnt about God, have begun to live and tell their story. And now it is here. Good news for all, for all people, for all of creation, for all of time. Time. It's news about something that has happened, something that changes the future and something that demands a response in the interim time. It's offensive to traditional Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles, Paul tells us. And it didn't look anything like anyone was expected. It's quiet. An ex-carpenter from a small backwater town turned preacher speaking of a peace that is different to the peace of Rome it's what's called a counter narrative you know when the when the political narrative is one way you can critique it all you like but the best critique is a better story and a better narrative and a better vision jesus's vision of peace and nonviolence is counter counter to the roman vision Instead of crushing your enemies, he says, love your enemies. Instead of marginalising the poor, he moves towards the poor. Instead of coercive military violence, it's about sacrificial love. Better to be executed as an enemy of the state with your heart full of love and forgiving your enemies than executing people and calling it peace. Jesus challenged the centres of power in both Rome and within the Jewish temple, calling out their hypocrisy and their self-interest until eventually they crucified him for it because that's what they did to people who called them out. That's what superpowers do. They squash the little people. And as far as they were concerned, that was it. Job done. Rebellion squashed. Until three days later, Jesus appears first to the women and then to his disciples. God has vindicated him and he has vindicated this story through resurrection. The first glimpse of what is to come. And this, my friends, is the good news. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the church's first theologian. He's wrestling with the death and resurrection of Jesus and what it means and how they should understand it and how it is indeed good news. And Tom Wright draws us to this passage in 1 Corinthians. I've I've abridged it slightly, but now I should remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you. This is Paul. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Which scriptures? Which were Paul's scriptures? The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. So this story of good news has evolved out of the story of the Jewish nation, out of the Hebrew people. And if we want to understand what good news looks like, we need to go back and look at The story of the Old Testament and how this is playing out. For many people, and I know for me growing up, the narrative that I was given of good news was incredibly individualistic. It reflected perhaps the time and culture that I grew up in, the 1980s. But it was all about me and my ticket to heaven when I died looking back on it now it just it sounds a bit silly sometimes but we'd made the I'd made the church that I grew up in made the gospel about this one thing how I got my personal ticket to a better place after death and I have to say I agree with Tom Wright that that is not the good news people I'm sorry if that's a shock to you it's part of the picture Certainly, life after death and what happens after death, and the defeat of death, is part of the good news. But that is not the good news, because it doesn't fit with the backstory in accordance with the scriptures. Um, just so you think, I'm, just because I know you already think I'm bordering line heretic, anyway, anyway, I'm going to play this next clip from Tom Wright in his own words, um, because if I said it, you'd go, "That's just Charlie." This is Mr. Wright. But Tom would argue that actually it's much bigger, much more generous, much larger, much more inclusive than that. He goes on to argue that there are other people um, who see the gospel as good advice good advice about how you should live. And, and undoubtedly, following Jesus, trying to live like Jesus is good advice. But the gospel, friends, is good news, not just good advice. It is a proclamation of something that happened, something through the the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as a result of that event in human history, the future is changed. And as we live between these two events, the future that will be and the resurrection of Jesus, we have to challenge the way we live and live differently as a result. Good news is an announcement of something that has happened which changes the future and now uh, where things are now different and we need to make changes in the present to get ready. The good news was a counter-narrative to the Roman story of good news of its time. The story of coercive military violence. This was a story of loving your enemies, of self-sacrificial love of spending yourself for others. So the good news is a counter-narrative to Rome. It is also in accordance with scripture. So if we're going to work out what the good news is, we need to look at the Old Testament and the story that sets it up. It is transformative. The resurrection transformed those first disciples from cowering in fear in an upstairs room to bold, bold, confident heralds of this good news. So confident that they were willing to give up their own lives in order to share it with the world around them. And this counter-narrative, this good news, exploded exponentially across the known world. It was revolutionary in its expansion, in its power, and the way it captivated and transformed people. And, friends, I genuinely believe it is good news. Uh, the Roman news was only good if you're on the right side of it. But actually, the good news of Jesus is genuinely good and good for all people in all times and in all places. And that's the introduction. And next week, we shall take a look at what perhaps this good news might be through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So I do hope you'll come back next week or listen to it on a podcast. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for the good news that has changed many of us in this room, that has transformed and shaped us. Thank you for the power of this story to still transform lives today. to provide a different story to shape our lives, to give our lives meaning, that is different to the political narratives we have around us, to the military narratives we have around us, that there is something within this story that is different and transformative and life-changing and genuinely good news for all. Lord, help us to live differently in the light of this good news and to share it confidently with others.